0: Today on Chinchilla Squeaks, I am joined by Shahar from Ground Cover. How are you doing? Where are you joining me from, Shahar?
1: Hey Chris, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm actually joining you from hot yet beautiful Tel Aviv in Israel. Yep.
0: I uh, I seem to be uh, interviewing quite a lot of people from. Uh, Tel Aviv this week. So <laughs> it means we can actually interview <laughs> at a good time of day for both of us, which is nice as well. So, <laughs> exactly. And we're here to talk about uh, ground cover. What is yeah. ground cover? What, what are you bringing to whatever space you're in?
1: So, ground cover is basically um, reinventing application performance monitoring for mm-hmm. Kubernetes environments. Um, the idea behind what we're doing a ground cover is trying to uh, redefine the way an APM or an application performance monitoring solution would actually operate and behave uh, in the way that it works by being more scalable or more data efficient and kind of more fit to modern architectures like, you know, uh, microservices architectures today, which are really API driven and high throughput and stuff like that. And we put that together with, uh, you know, an already well-known technology which is called dvPF uh, which is really revolutionary in a way that eventually it allows us to access uh, really deep observability from infrastructure all the way to application with no r d efforts in like in between with no cone changes and nothing that uh, can eventually uh, cause a lot of friction during the integration so putting those together is kind of what we're trying to do and and the vision behind what we're trying to do is Make observability as effortless as possible for teams, so they can enjoy it without working too hard for it, and scalable. So as they grow, and as their team grows, and the company and their customer base grows, the observability stack grows proportionally with them, and you know doesn't hold them back. Basically.
0: So there's two distinct parts I'd like to dig into there. When you let, let's keep aside e b p f for now. I have covered it before on the on the show. But we'll, we'll do a quick recap of that in a minute. Let's have a look at the other yeah. side. Observability is a, is a big space. EBPF is on one side. You have the old, more, I don't want to say old school, traditional APM on another side. And you have a lot of things in the middle as well. So how are you doing that part of things to begin with?
1: So I think um basically, when we look at you know the pain points in kind of the world of application monitoring I mean application monitoring has been here for a while I mean everyone mm-hmm. knows how to you know cite the three pillars and everybody there's no disagreements about you know logs matrix traces being an important part of troubleshooting and performance monitoring stuff like that so we don't have we don't have to educate uh, developers and us as developers I mean we know that for a while mm-hmm. uh the thing is that these solutions have been here for practically almost a decade, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the basic uh, solutions behind that. And they kind of drag on two problems into the, the space of application monitoring, which I think uh, are not addressed so far in a, in a proper way. One is complexity, uh, mm-hmm. which I think kind of relates to what you said about EVPF. Uh, most of application, deep application monitoring is based on SDKs. Uh, so, you know, you have to integrate an SDK into your code, when the, once the company is small and everything is homogeneous, it's all good. Uh, you can just run freely. But uh, you know, even we've been meeting a lot of co- companies, and just recently we met a fintech company who has been integrating a solution like Datadog for over four months, uh, and they're still like in the midst of this process. So I think it's not weird to hear teams talking about quarters anymore. Like integrating, we're integrating Q in Q3 Datadog into our stack. Because it's more than just you know uh, the complexity of integrating an SDK. Once you have to change code, you have to coordinate between a lot of different yeah. teams in a big company. So that's like one part of the equation. And I think uh, what happens there is that this complexity uh, is just you know it translates into R and D effort. But that's not the problem. The problem is that complexity and integration causes poor coverage, basically. Because mm-hmm. if if it's hard to integrate, uh, you're gonna have to skip on some parts. For example, you're not gonna touch that legacy code. That you you don't want to you know don't want that anyway, but it, it's complex to integrate an SDK there, and no one's going to do it. So we see teams are you know left with a lot of blind spots in their production due to the complexity of this integration and a long time to value basically until they get the value. So this is like one part. It's it's kind of related to the EVPF and the ease of integration through something which is not an SDK through something that doesn't require any code changes. But I think uh, the other part is kind of more, more what you were uh, looking for in, in that sense and is the the fact that these solutions don't scale well. Uh, I think part of the reason for that is that um solutions like DataDog, New Relic and you know these great platforms basically were built over a decade ago when um the market was mostly based around monolith architectures, you know, uh customer interactions was not were not as high in throughput like today and uh, they went for a centralized approach which was really um uh, it made sense back then. I mean send all the data back to DataDog or whatever, or Mm -hmm. the vendor of the observability you work with, uh, they will crunch all the data there, create the insights, and, you know, let you investigate and query data that you want. But the thing is that as architectures are becoming more and more API-driven and throughputs are rising and microservices become more and more fragmented into different business units, uh, eventually you just have to collect too much data to get this job done. Um, And... You know, any interaction from a customer can create 10x or 20x interactions inside your cluster just from you know communicating between microservices and DBs and Mm -hmm. caches or whatever is happening there. So uh, it it creates uh, also pricing models which are unpredictable, kind of scary. What's going to happen next month if the volume of my customers just suddenly peaks Um, and we see a lot of companies uh paying over way over 1 million dollars a year for these solutions mm-hmm. and actually the 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 kind of standard in the industry is talking about 10 to 15% of cloud costs being uh delivered to observability vendors which i think we all agree is high and kind of exponentially yeah. grows with your stack which is not uh not that great um so this is the problem we're trying to address because uh, eventually cost causes, causes a t- terrible trade-off where developers are put in a, in a junction where they have to kind of reduce visibility to save costs or manage mm-hmm. budgets uh, responsibly. Uh, we see that all the time. I've been there myself, like, firsthand. You know, you reduce the granularity of that matrix or that log level, or, you know, you sample these traces more hardly because you say, I can't expect or, you know, predict what's going to happen in my build next month. So ground cover is is heavily based on uh, a completely different architecture around how we sample data, how we transform raw data into actual insights on the fly without ever, you know, taking it out of the node or storing it anywhere. Um, so data is much more efficient, much more scalable, and basically we also focus it to what we think you should matter, you should care about once you kind of troubleshoot production.
0: So the, and then the, the tagline, the very big tagline on your website is mostly focusing on eBPF. I have covered it before. I spoke with um, Cilium, um, mm-hmm. but I don't assume everyone listens to or watches everything. So, so it's, it's a very hot technology, although, again, based on not anything particularly new. But let's have a very brief summary from your perspective of what it is and why it's useful in this context.
1: Yeah, so EVPF is, I think like all great technologies, uh, it's not new in any yeah. sense. Uh, you know, it takes time to build something great, I guess. Um, so EVPF started from uh, BPF, from the Berkeley Packet Filter. Uh, it was introduced in 1993, so it's almost like 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but I think it was the first major leap in like what you can you can do inside the Linux kernel in a sense that people didn't expect before. Uh, when it introduced kind of, uh, you know, a programmable virtual machine basically inside the kernels that you can use to control and filter traffic. That was the purpose back then. I think it was kind of premature to what, uh, you know, the data volumes and kind of, kind of the architectures that were, uh, used back then in a sense that it was still kind of, uh, premature to the common, uh, developer or tech team of what they can harness it back then. But, uh, in 2014, uh, just at the year that Kubernetes was released, uh, funny enough, uh, eBPF was raised, which which is the extension of BPF to actual tools that can allow you to deploy programs, like actual yeah. business logic uh, that you can run inside the kernel. And that was a major jump um, in like what you can do, like the versatility of stuff you can run inside the kernel. Uh, the last couple of years were a total explosion in that recent kernel version, which, which are highly adopted by Kubernetes uh, vendors like, you know, EKS and GKE and stuff like that. Yeah contain a lot more flexibility a lot more features so developers can actually write uh, code to the kernel that does a lot of interesting stuff and for us or from an observability perspective it brings very two important things to the table one is efficiency you get access to kernel level resources so you can run you know complex code uh, really efficiently and really safely uh, so you, when you're trying to monitor like you know high throughput protocols like say Redis or Kafka stuff that ha- can happen in really high throughputs, uh, that efficiency comes into play, and mm. uh, you're not consuming part of the applications resources, but you're running inside the kernel in a much more efficient way. And the other Any, great oh, advantage, I think yeah. uh, is uh, sorry. And the other yeah, great advantage, I think is is that from the kernel you can observe all of the mm. user space basically. So if you were a user space program, you wouldn't be able to kind of dig yeah. deep into other processes you running next to. Uh, and that's why you had to integrate yourself into the code and do stuff that eventually kind of uh, puts the developer in the loop. Uh, yeah. So yeah,
0: and and is ebpf without going into too much uh, trade secret is ebpf what kind of reduces the 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 cost and the overhead in your case?
1: Uh, so actually, no. I think that that's part of uh, the, the kind of uh, misconception about what EVPF can do for observability. I see. We I, I think we see a lot of cool stuff and cool projects uh, from all over uh, the world around EVPF in observability, uh, which is great. Uh, we totally believe in that. But EVPF is just another way, another very strong, very powerful way uh, to get access to deep observability data uh, from infrastructure all the way to application but it doesn't solve the problem that eventually you have to do something with all this data. I mean, uh, okay, it kind yeah, of even storage, worsened the yeah. problem. Yeah. 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 <laughs> in a, in a sense it makes stuff worse because, uh, okay, now wire. I have access to every, you know, every DNS request, what, yeah. what I'm going to do with that. Um, so I think it just, it just kind of highlights the, the issue that, uh, if you're going to collect, uh, new data with this like new powerful source, something else has to change in the way you kind of collect, store and uh, digest the data. It doesn't make sense anymore to send all that to someone who will store it for you and let it query you there, query there. And I think that's the reason that even big vendors like Datadog, which is clearly, you know, going into EVPF really strongly. We're not saying we own EVPF. EVPF is going to be a commodity in a couple of years. Hopefully hopefully we're going to help it get, help it get there. Um, but that's the reason why they won't be able to pull uh, – something completely different off with evpf because uh, eventually it's just more data flowing into your observability stack and Mm. you know someone has to handle it
0: yep okay on that i think you have a little demo so i'll bring in the screen for you and i will attempt to describe anything that isn't immediately obvious for uh, audio business (laughs) uh yeah Yeah. sure so um Uh, yeah i'm trying to be as descriptive as i can
1: yeah yeah so basically uh we're currently looking at uh the ground cover sas experience the our ui um before just talking about that for a second just talking about the installation clearly the installation is where you is kind of the the strongest play in what we can do here the installation is a simple helm chart basically we deploy a daemon set that uh Mm -hmm. kind of uh, runs the UPF program on each of the nodes inside the cluster. Uh, and on the other hand, in our own separate code, with our own separate, like, transparent resources, uh, we actually run this aggregation that I was talking about, of eventually taking all the data, you know, surfacing from UPF, aggregating it, turning it to metrics, and, you know, uh, eventually serving it as an, as an APM grade kind of value. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you see here is... is is Kind of the first uh, prism into the data that we collect. Uh, this is uh, uh, like one cluster we're currently installed on. on the, this demo cluster we can be installed on multiple clusters and eventually aggregate all the data into one place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is an auto discovery of all the services or workloads that are currently running inside the cluster. Um, we actually, uh, you know, detect how they operate it at runtime and not just, you know, using kubernetes api so we can tell you who's healthy and who's not right now so what what is what you're currently seeing uh in this kind of uh you know weather uh oh, of okay. sunny and you know <laughs> rainy <laughs> um, and visuals is that some of them are currently unhealthy and for example this front end uh, the tile you see here on the front end, this is the actual workload. It can be represented by, say, 15 pods on three different nodes. Yeah. This logical unit is currently experiencing three different issues, and these are not Kubernetes health checks or something like that. This is out-of-the-box issues that ground cover catches on the fly while detecting, for example, that this uh, specific workload is communicating over gRPC and HTTP. Yeah. So this could um, be not even so- a
0: Kubernetes issue. It could be a uh, I don't know an error coming from the application code. Yeah, uh, that as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah,
1: totally, totally. Um, and clearly, all, all 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 the things that we do are completely Kubernetes native. So you can filter by namespaces and you know try to look at uh, different stuff like uh, workloads and protocols. We cover a lot of different protocols from gRPC to HTTP to Kafka to DNS to Redis, uh, even stuff in the TCP layer that can be uh, interesting for an infrastructure team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also can create interesting things like that, which eventually kind of uh, merge together our distributed collection, which, uh, you know, data can be collected, distributed from very different nodes. And eventually putting all this together using the Kubernetes metadata into something which is like this logical flow map that you just saw, see here. This is an actual uh, current runtime dependency map between the different services. And you can see, you know, uh, different error rates happening on some of the edges, yeah. which can be http GRPC or anything else that we eventually detect this is a little uh, so bit of an really to-, to
0: that usual topology kind of overview isn't it um yeah
1: yeah i think the, the cool part here is also that uh i mean we only need to see one side of the conversation in a sense so mm. even if we're talking about cross-cluster communication or managed services you know like managed redis or rds or anything outside of the cluster which is co- totally common we're going to see that interaction. We're going to monitor that error rate. We're going to monitor that latency because we catch it from the client side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the granularity there is going to be from your Kubernetes perspective, you're going to know who's the client behind that, who's the entity behind that. So things are much more you know, logical to the stack of your Kubernetes and not some IP you know, flowing around communicating with the RDS, which we're not sure who it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is one cool like, part of, of what we can do. Uh, the other part that the ground cover is trying to bring to the table is kind of an um, uh, inbox approach into troubleshooting, if you if you want. I mean, uh, trying to put all the issues that we out of the box detect in the cluster mm-hmm. in one place from very different uh, domains. So this is just our demo. So you can see problems in gRPC, HTTP, Redis, Postgres happening currently in the cluster. Uh, we also detect Kubernetes events. So there could be a container restart, you know, happening from... Uh, any different container in the cluster that we will indicate and uh, help you troubleshoot or an out of memory crash or anything like that. Um, and each of these issues eventually are aggregated, I mean, by our aggregation yeah. mechanism. So this, for example, is uh, an HTTP request that uh, gets 500 uh, failure uh, status code from front end inside a cluster, which is the HTTP server here. But this happened like 38 times in the last 15 mm-hmm. minutes. Clearly we're going to try and aggregate it yep. for you. Yep. Um, and once you dig in, let's say, just look at G- this gRPC error, once you do dig in, what we do is we capture spans on the fly. So we create two different kind of uh, inputs, which are really APM-grade uh, value in that sense. One is the golden matrix of, you know, requests per seconds, error rates, and their distribution by status codes, and the latency of, say, P50 and P95 on that specific resource, that's that specific API. Uh, and we also capture different spans so you can investigate, like, good example so this is uh you know an example of the good payload uh traveling between the client and the server uh which this request eventually ended up with a you know uh, a correct response but you can also take it to investigate the, you know the bad response which eventually gRPC the gRPC stack reported an unknown error so you can yeah. see okay what's what in that payload eventually triggered that request and that's that's part of the interesting part of ground cover does we don't capture all the spans inside the system we sample high latency spans erroneous spans things that are interesting while also capturing some of the common spans so you can kind of investigate and compare uh, that's okay. why the data efficiency stays so high
0: how do you how do you filter out what may not be useful i mean when you say common and erroneous that kind of sounds to me like all of them <laughs> but
1: so yeah. we, we separated it into two uh, different parts. We have uh, we manage budgets for sampling, which are uh, managed by each edge component, each agent yeah. running in each node. Uh, we sample all the failures in, un, until some kind of budget that we determine. And we sample, we learn the distributions of latency, payload sizes, status code distributions, stuff like that inside the actual edge model. Uh, and so we can sample from different parts of the distribution. So, say in latency, we will also sample. We will always sample, say P95 or really fast requests. Sample from the edges of the distribution, like uh, with intent, because we learn the distribution on the fly inside the edge component. Um, mm-hmm. And from general, like population of requests, we will sample randomly with a specific separate budget. So you can also see random stuff that we might have missed from you know our narrow perspective on. The sampling mechanism that we run. Uh, the result is that you can sample a really, really high uh, throughput API and eventually be positive that you're going to get the one out of a million requests that fail, even if it's that rare, uh, which is kind of a major leap if, uh, in, in the way sampling is currently operating in in APM solutions. And that's why uh, you're sometimes missing out on what you care about and mostly collecting 99% of, you know, irrelevant data that you have to pay. Yeah, okay,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: We do the same thing for logs also, which is kind of cool. We collect 10 seconds worth of logs. We actually uh, keep the logs inside uh, a ring buffer uh, inside uh, each edge component that uh, is running in each node. Uh, And once an event happens, we dump those 10 seconds worth of logs into storage. Uh, So you get kind of the R kind of indexing on your logs in a sense. Um, by us telling you, these are probably the logs you're gonna you're gonna want to query, yeah. so we keep them really efficiency and really accessible. Uh, we're not saying logs are not like all over the system, but it's kind of an, a smart indexing into the seconds before and after an event yeah. uh, from the relevant pods that you know took place in the specific uh, incident. Okay. No. Um, so this is one take, and like the the, the final take of what we're doing is. Uh, performance um, monitoring, like hardcore performance monitoring. Eventually you want to see all the resources inside the cluster so you can figure out which one is a bottleneck, which one is causing you trouble. So we, we present the different protocols inside the system. We do it even for Kafka, Redis, Postgres. So you can even go, say, to Postgres and see all the queries running from all the clients inside your servers, inside your cluster into external RDS services. And you can see whose, which client inside your cluster, from a Kubernetes entity perspective, is using RDS the most, uh, mm-hmm. causing that much error, is experiencing, say, uh, a peak in latency for some reason, and then you can investigate actual the specific queries that you know got got him there. Um, so it's really interesting to see it from perspectives of protocols like say Redis, where you can see all Redis commands and and their kind of golden signals and very common in in things like uh, grpc and http where you actually you know get a lot of different examples of apis running through a system you can figure out who's communicated to who and at and what you know metrics uh, that are relevant for performance
0: and do you, is what you support here limited to certain uh, resources at the moment or is it just happens to be these are the examples in the example application you have here
1: so it's 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 completely not limited in a sense that we're almost uh, entirely language agnostic. What we do support are specific protocols. So, for example, we're not supporting RabbitMQ yet. Okay. Uh, this is on our roadmap, but we do support Kafka, Redis, gRPC, HTTP, a lot of different, you know, very common protocols yeah. uh, that are run in most production environments. So our coverage slowly grows into newer protocols, but from a coverage perspective, um, in in most cases, we don't care if it's you know Python running on top, Java running on top. If it's SSL encrypted or not, uh, we we know how to bypass and support all the different mechanisms around these APIs and you know DB queries and stuff like that. Uh, again, assuming that this is a protocol that we uh, we support. Yep.
0: yep. Okay. Cool. Uh, anything else you want to show here? Sure. Or
1: Shall I drop it out? Uh, yeah, just one, one uh, f- um, like final thought on that, which I think is interesting for a lot of users out there. I mean, uh, clearly Grafana, Prometheus stack is yep. a really, uh, you know, common and widespread stack uh, in observability. And uh, a lot of users use it for infrastructure monitoring and, you know, different stuff like that. And also monitoring, um, uh, you know, um, high uh, throughput or DB related services like, you know, monitoring their Redis or Kafka broker performances and stuff like that. So we see it, Happening with other teams. What's cool with cover is that uh, the data is accessible as a Prometheus data source. All the metrics that you okay. see here are accessible as a Prometheus data source. So, so exported, uh, we
0: export Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, you can actually add us as a data source as yeah. a Prometheus data source. We're not actually running Prometheus because it wouldn't. Kind yeah, of, no, for uh, sure.
0: It's a uh, remote uh, granularity
1: read or whatever they call it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you can just you know build uh, dashboards from a lot of matrix that we create create out of the box. Uh, we work with customers to create uh, these dashboards, all documented, so people can also create their own. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of open up opens up new use cases into you know using the data that your observability stack is collecting, and not just you know sticking to our UI, which we think is great, yeah. but you probably have your own thoughts on <laughs> on how Actually, to yeah, you know publish your with
0: UI it. Is, is is interesting. I, I like you're kind of going for this slightly more. Um, lighthearted a look and feel to a lot of observability platforms <laughs> Yeah. i don't yeah. honestly know how some people will feel about that i'm not sure <laughs> but it does certainly look we know cool. how we
1: feel about it i mean uh, there's some, sometimes you get lost inside these you know huge dark blue platforms yeah. with all these million tabs uh, there's also uh, like uh, something we're trying to say there from the sta- product statement yeah. but you know that's us and that's what we believe yeah. in
0: cool all right take that out. Let's just uh, go through a couple of more general questions to wrap up. Um, I get the impression the the company is relatively new. So what was the story there? What, why did you decide to start? Who decided to start? And what what problem were you facing that made you want to start, a, start the company?
1: Um, so just to touch on our backgrounds, we're two co-founders. Uh, uh, okay. We're good friends for... Over ten years, uh, both of us kind of uh, went through similar uh, professional paths in our lives. So we've been uh, engineers uh, for over fifteen years, each of us, and like most of this professional time, we been was around like R and D leadership positions uh, in different domains. I'm specifically, I've specifically spent a lot of years in cybersecurity. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people from you know the Tel Aviv area you're talking mm-hmm. to, um, <laughs> and. <my laughs> And my last few years were around uh, applied machine learning. Most recently Mm -hmm. at Apple for a few years, Um, and through all these kind of periods, we were both of us were on the user side of platforms like Datadog, New Relic, you know, Grafana, Prometheus, and stuff like that. So, um, monitor was always something critical from our day to day and the way that we eventually you know managed our teams and our, our projects. So we always had have been using these kind of platforms. So we knew where they work. Great. And what's, what are kind of their drawbacks and problems? And a, a couple, about a couple of years ago, uh, we knew that all, we already had kind of vis- had a vision about how to collect data differently for production, uh, troubleshooting and monitoring and what we want to do different there and make those solutions more scalable and more fit to the modern world. Uh, and it all kind of clicked about a year ago. Uh, when I mean, we come from kind of the cyber way of thinking, so it's always been our interest to you know engage with low-level technologies and figure out how operating system works and you know uh, technological frameworks operate and stuff like that. And we got familiarized with EVPF at some point where it was relatively new. Uh, right now, it feels like it's it's a hot discussion, which is really cool. Um, and that's where things kind of click—the vision of you know trying to do differently, diff- stuff differently in the APM domain and. This revolutionary technology that can make a lot of this happen from uh, you know a friction kind of uh, 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 way for the R and D team. That's kind of where things clicked for us, and we knew that uh, you know we have we had to build it in into an integrated solution that would take both uh, both of these uh, different ideas into one. Uh, and that's kind of where ground Groundcover is positioned today in the world, trying to take these two approaches and kind of merge them into a solution that will create a different uh, experience into application monitoring,
0: And so the EBPF aspect, like uh, you mentioned, um, uh, actually I can't remember who you mentioned out of the main players now, but I know, um, for example, uh, New Relic took, bought out Pixie, who have also actually been on the Mm -hmm. the show before they were acquired. Um, And I think you also mentioned uh, Datadog, did you? Is now offering... EBPF or did I hear yeah. you? Yeah, so you know a couple of these larger vendors are starting to offer this now. So, mm-hmm. what do you think your point of difference is and is going to be to to be noticed amongst those fairly well established players?
1: Yeah, so I mean, first of all, regarding Pixie, I think they're they're a great team. They're pioneers in the field of EBPF. Uh, we've met them also in here in Israel and also uh, their offices and. Uh, truly appreciate and love what they're doing. We actually work together. Uh, we will contribute code back to Pixie because we really believe in the community uh, motion that they're creating. Uh, but I think, uh, and I think uh, Pixie would also acknowledge that, that uh, there's a lot of difference, and it kind of relates to Datadog also in that sense. There's a lot of difference in what we're trying to build, uh, like, say, the difference between GroundCover and Pixie. Uh, Pixie did a great job at showing what a great data source EVPF can be. I mean, exposing things that were before unheard of, you know, from an application layer of you know, what EVPF can put on the table. Uh, but as I said before, and I think Datadog is heading kind of in the same uh, path. Uh, they just made more data accessible, which is amazing. Uh, and they showed uh, you know they kind of made the the proof of concept of EVPF providing this data without you know you ever touching the code. But then we kind of feel it's back to square one of you know what do I do with all this data. Who's going to handle it? Who's going to pay for it? Who's going to store it? Um, And and that's you still need uh, someone to do the aggregation for you and kind of focus you on on what matters. So I think that's kind of the difference uh, in the approach, uh, even between us and Pixie, even though clearly from an ERPF perspective, uh, we totally believe what they do. Uh, and, And as I said before, I think Datadog... Uh, new relic with pixie and other vendors eventually EVPF will hopefully be a commodity i mean mm. clearly it's 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 currently very far from the average developer and we're trying to make it accessible yep. but uh you know holding it back from the community is not go- is not what's gonna make uh, uh you know a dent in the apm world we believe it's mostly the other part of combining it with a completely yeah. different approach yeah. into how you aggregate yeah. data yeah
0: Okay, and you mentioned a couple of small things along the way, but what's um, what's on the roadmap for the next six months?
1: Yeah, so ground cover is actually um, um, launching really soon. I mean, we just uh, closed another okay. uh, funding <laughs> r- round, so we're going to be announcing it soon. Um, and basically, we're already open uh, to the world with a free tier that we really believe in. Uh, it's completely self served, so everybody can you know try it out go to groundcover.com and install. And we totally want this, this feedback from developers, from teams, you know, actually working in real Kubernetes environments. Um, and we have great plans to expand the product to create a truly Kubernetes native APM that uh, can kind of bounce between the infrastructure that you care about and actual APM value that, uh, that, that as you see in the demo, uh, a lot of roadmap into expanding into new protocols and, you know, different uh, stuff that we hear from customers all the time mm-hmm. and growing the team since uh, we're currently uh, uh, in, in high growth here. Uh, that's basically our, you know, on, on our agenda.
0: <laughs> Everything then is on the agenda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rule the world. <laughs> cool. cool. Um, Shahar, thank you very much for your time. and Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me.